The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day, except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth. You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive. So there isn't much you can do about it, Chotterhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe. And your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Welcome to the live philosophy of Peninnas live classroom and chat room here on Wednesday, September 6, 2017. The topic tonight is Dahomey lecture number 22, and the handout and the notes for the lecture that we will be discussing are in the chat room. If you go to mikechurch.com and click on the menu at the top of the page, you'll see the uh, Catholicism and under Catholicism, Philosophia Perennis, and then you can scroll to uh, Philosophia Perennis. And uh, scroll on down and you'll see the Dahomey homepage. And there on that page, you will see the link to get to the chat room and uh, the classroom. If you missed any of the previous 21 episodes of Dahomey, you can find them on my website at mikechurch.com using the same directions I just gave. You can also sign up for the RSS audio feed, which will update as soon as a new episode is uploaded to the, um, to the RSS server. Having said all that, let's go live to the St. Benedict Center in uh, Richmond, New Hampshire. And bring in Brother Andre Marie, who will be uh, assisting us in uh, discussing this lecture here tonight. 
So, brother. Good evening, Mike. How you doing? Hey, brother. I am. Uh, I am well, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Very well. So, uh, fall is nearly upon you. Are the leaves starting to, to turn colors? Oh uh, no, not yet. But we have some uh, very bracing pre-fall fall weather. <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been sort of fall-ish, but then it always goes back to getting hot again and stuff. So lately, it's been just raining. Pre-fall fall weather. Yeah, we I have like pre-winter winter weather too. <laughs> it's just something you have up here. Well, we are going to get some pre-fall fall weather tomorrow, too. I believe it's going to get down to 60 degrees tonight. Wow. In New Orleans. 61 or, 60, uh, 61 or 62, depending on where you're at. So yeah, you'll, you'll need your jackets. We'll need, uh, which is something that we normally do not need here in the New Orleans area in the first week in September. So <laughs> it usually remains pretty scorching and steaming hot, but with all the um, with, with all the tropical storm insanity going on in the Gulf, uh, the Gulf of Mexico, and then of course in the western part of the Atlantic Ocean, it's uh, not surprising that uh, that that weather would be really strange today. I guess not. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we're getting it too. Because keep in mind, we're on the east coast so so weather systems kind of come up here too so yeah you're on the top end of that uh circular pattern that's going to suck the 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 hurricane irma storm and then guide it north hey that's us yeah but because the front is descending is gonna and it's gonna keep it from going across uh it looks like it's gonna keep it from going across florida and then ultimately we'll then then we'll then guide it north on some kind of path uh, brother, you moved to New Hampshire away from New Orleans to get away from hurricanes. You might actually find hurricanes. Yeah. A hurricane yeah, might well, find you. Global warming, you never know. We can... <laughs> <laughs> So-called. Okay. Indeed. All right. Uh, Dahomey Lecture number 22. Where shall we begin tonight? Okay. If if I may, Mike, I know you're usually the guy that does the commercials on this in this outfit. I just want to start with a commercial that's very related to what we're talking about tonight. Okay. Um, uh, Gary Potter, uh, sent me an article, which was published on Catholicism.org. Let's see, either today or yesterday. It was yesterday, I think. No, it's today. Uh, called Ayn Rand, Conservative, Conservatism's Favorite Philosopher. Mm. And it's very worth reading, and it's very relevant to, to uh, what we're discussing lately in Dehomine, because Brother keeps talking about uh, our sumum bonum, happiness, uh, our final end. And Ayn Rand, who is, uh, f- for a lot of our so-called conservative politicos, is uh, very much a guiding star. And, of course, she was crazy. And she was philosophically <laughs> bankrupt, as most of our politicos are. But now you know why. Uh, Gary goes into the fact that Alan Greenspan was a big devotee of Ayn. In fact, he was part of the of, of her inner circle. And a lot of the insanity that, that we go through in American politics um, can be traced to her. We don't want to be guilty of a monism and say she's responsible for all of it. But a lot of the so-called conservatives, for instance, the Reagan administration was packed with these people. And now the Trump, who brags that he never reads a book, said that uh, the, the Fountainhead was his favorite book. 
So, and, and he would be sort of a practical Randian. I don't know that he was a philosophical Randian, but he's certainly a practical Randian. And there's something deeply, deeply flawed with this. And, and Ayn Rand's idea of what man's guiding moral norm is in life is contained in the piece that Gary, uh, Gary wrote for our website. So I very, very strongly recommend uh, all... all uh, uh, budding philosophers to read it. It's the first part of a two-part article. You have to wait <laughs> some weeks for the second part, but um, it, it'll be worth it. And in the comments section of that article, I link to another article that's much more philosophical on the same question uh, about Ayn Rand and um, the concept of happiness. So with that little commercial, if I may, oh, by the way, and also, we, of course, we're trying to get people to come to the conference that you'll be at, Mike. So um, I don't know how else to to, uh, to trumpet that except, you know, to throw a link in the chat room and, and say it here that, that the St. Benedict Center Conference needs re registered attendees coming it's, uh, to listen to all the good talks that are being prepared. Well, it's a perfectly, uh, uh, perfectly acceptable for you to throw an, uh, an advertisement in there. Um, if you can't throw it in there during philosophy of Perninus, when could you throw it in there? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so if we if we if we can, let's let's uh, let's head straight away to St. Thomas. Um, Brother Francis spent a lot of time in this in this uh, lecture again talking about the Psalms, but toward the end he has this completely packed section where he gives basically a very involved meditation on three sentences. He wanted to do eight, but three sentences from the Summa Contra Gentiles. And let's, let's start with, with, with a few introductory comments out of the way. We can dive into those. But the introductory comments are just reminding us that um, every philosopher who's worth uh, the name has some theory of happiness. And this is, this is a... Um, this is a subject that I've been doing some uh, um, extra reading on lately as I prepare my own conference talk, which is going to try to triangulate this stuff with the Fatima message. But every philosopher who is worth the name philosopher had some theory about happiness and what it is that constitutes human happiness. Okay. Modern philosophers tend to divorce the, the human happiness and humans pursuing their happiness from ethical norms or from morals or from man's ultimate purpose and also from metaphysics. For St. Thomas, it's all of a piece and it's all tied together because our happiness is tied to our nature and our nature has a purpose and our purpose, that is to say our teleology, huh? uh, our end, uh, is something which uh, is ultimately supernatural, although we can't have some concept of happiness in this life. It's ultimately supernatural. Okay. And in order to achieve that end, there are a whole lot of means along the way. Now, just taking the broad view, there were all kinds of... Uh, all the ancient philosophers had some concept, at least from Socrates on, had some concept of, of what, what constitutes happiness. For Socrates, happiness was virtue. If you, if you live virtuously, you become happy. For Plato, uh, happiness 
was something out there. It was something not to be achieved in this life. It was it was a sort of transcendental happiness. It transcended all the, the, this this sort of shadow exi shadowy existence that we have on this earth. Aristotle, as much as we respect Aristotle and and like his philosophy, his metaphysical principles better than Plato. Actually, this is one of the places where Aristotle falls flat in a lot of ways. Plato kind of bests him in this regard, because for Aristotle, happiness is only a this-worldly happiness, and happiness uh, uh, can only be achieved in this life by philosophers, by people who, who contemplate. Now, yes, he's right when he says happiness consists in contemplating truth, and yes, he's right when he says that virtue, while not happiness, is itself itself is a necessary predisposition to give us the ability to contemplate truth. He's right in all that, but he's wrong where he leaves it just at something that is this worldly. Now, we can excuse him and say, well, the poor guy was a pagan and he didn't know about the beatific vision. So he still tied, he still tied ethical norms and our teleology, our purpose, our end, to our, our metaphysical nature, in other words, to the essence of what man is, that he has a purpose. Okay. But what he failed to do was to identify what that true purpose was and that it's something ab above, above our nature. Now, again, we can't blame him for that. So what St. Thomas does is St. Thomas comes in, and it's in, 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 in St. Thomas's um, commentaries on the Nicomachean Ethics, which is a very huge book that I've ever, never actually read. I've only seen it excerpted. And I've read the same ideas that he's put in the Summa Theologiae. I'm reading a couple of sections in the Summa on happiness and on the Beatitudes right now. His, uh, he, he heavily corrects Aristotle, heavily corrects him. And basically, so for St. Thomas's schema, man has a purpose built into his nature. And fundamental to man's nature as rational creature is that he has a natural desire, not just for happiness, but he's a natural desire for God. Because that's ultimately the only thing that can make him happy. The only thing that can make man happy perfectly is the uninterrupted vision of truth itself. So he's following up on what, what, what Aristotle said. Of course, he's, he's using the Bible, too. He's using the Scripture. Right. And he's using what the fathers of the Church said, especially St. Augustine, and also Boethius, the great Aristotelian philosopher of the early Middle Ages. He's taking all that stuff and sort of, St. Thomas was a great, uh, some people might say a great plagiarist, uh, <laughs> I'd say he's a great synthesizer, he's a great eclectic, he takes the best of everybody and sort of jumbles it all up and comes up with this beautiful synthesis. But for St. Thomas, our end is built into our nature, our purpose is built into our nature, and the moral life and the life of the virtues, both the moral virtues and the infused virtues of, of faith, hope, and charity, and then over and above that, the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and then the Beatitudes, all of that is to help us to achieve our end, which is happiness forever with God. Okay. By seeing truth in the face. What the Beatitudes do... I mean, excuse me, what all those things do, the virtues, the gifts, the beatitudes, whether whether the, whether the acquired virtues that we can describe as the, 
four cardinal virtues or the infused virtues that only come to us when they're infused directly by God. They cannot be acquired by our own effort, faith, hope, and charity, or the gifts. What all of those things do is they prepare us and they equip us to live that life of contemplation of truth in his face as he is in his essence which that very much agrees with Aristotle's formula, although he didn't have the supernatural bit. All he said was that, that the virtues prepare us, they're necessary disposition. While they're not happiness themselves, the virtues are necessary dispositions for us having happiness by contemplating truth. So Aristotle's philosophy is called eudaimonistic. It's a happiness-based ethics. In other words, we're seeking our happiness. But for Aristotle, and again, I'm backing up. I'm, I, this isn't anything particular that Brother Francis said for tonight. It's very important, though. For, for Aristotle, unlike Ayn Rand, and I'm talking about Ayn Rand because I read about her today, and I asked Gary to write this because that woman irritates me, and I know that a lot of our leading politicians are Randians. And it's a detestable philosophy. It's utterly execrable. Similar to the Nietzscheanism that lies behind a lot of these alt-right guys. Tell us what you really think, brother. Well, I don't much like it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of gathering that. Around the bush. Anyway, this, so this, this, this evil philosophy has to be called out. Well, Gary Potter quotes Ayn Rand. And l let me quote her. Let me, let me give the quote here. This, by the way, she... It's from Playboy magazine. Now, now um, I'm not going to ask Gary if he actually bought the magazine to read the article. My guess is he, he saw it quoted someplace. And by the way, Rex Tillerson is a fan of, uh, of uh, Ayn Rand. That's a little disturbing. Um, so here is, here is her. Here is what she says about happiness. Um, man exists for his own sake that the pursuit of his own happiness is his highest moral purpose and that he must not sacrifice himself for others nor others to himself. Wow. This is her idea of ethics. She was asked uh, about, about uh, objectivism and about what she believed. So she says, man exists for his own sake, that the purpose of his own happiness is the highest moral purpose, and that he must not sacrifice himself for others, nor others to himself. Now, she claimed to have been an Aristotelian, and she claims that all of her ideas come from herself, except what she got from Aristotle. Aristotle's concept of, of the pursuit of happiness is actually contrary to this because Aristotle had, had three different kinds of ethics. He had monistic effort, ethics, he had political ethics, and he had um, uh, economic ethics. Economics, I, I have them in the wrong order, uh, monistic, economic, and political. Monistic was the, was the ethics for the self, for the person, for the, for the one person, the monos, the, uh, the, one, the, one, the individual. Economic was ethics applied to the household, to the home, okay. the family, and politics to the state. And to Aristotle, the highest, the highest ethics was political ethics, meaning that the good of the individual can be sacrificed for the good of the state. Now, arguably, somebody could get statism out of this, but I don't think that's what Aristotle meant. Um, for, for, for Aristotle, in other words, what you can what you could say is this is altruism. Okay. We do things for others not only out of purposes of justice and patriotism and all those genuine virtues, but also out of a sense of altruism, doing something for others for the sake of doing it for others. And then of course, 
Christians will take this and baptize it and turn it into the theological virtue of charity, right? Right. Well, you, you frequently refer to solidarity. Okay, solidarity is is basically a sort of a political ethics that comes from Aristotle. I'm not saying he coined that phrase or used that used that word, but it, it, it solidarity expresses the same idea. And for Ayn Rand, though, it was it was all about the individual, all about the individual. And, the, and, and apparently the closest she comes to altruism is that I can't sacrifice others to myself. So it's not, you know, it's not quite dog-eat-dog, okay, but it's close. So uh, the idea is, it's, it's, and of course her, her whole system is selfishness. It's just, it's completely based on selfishness. Aristotle didn't base it on that either. But the funny thing is, sometimes St. Thomas Aquinas is accused of being selfish because he talks about man's final end being his happiness. But the people who accuse St. Thomas of being selfish rule out all those virtues that St. Thomas describes as necessary in order to achieve one's happiness. And built into those virtues are such things as justice towards others, Justice towards the to, towards others in, in 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 your individual dealings with them, in your family, in the state, in the larger society of which you are a part, and then above justice is charity, and ultimately there's the ultimate charity of God who is to be loved for His own sake. That is not selfishness. We have to love God for His own sake, and it just so happens that that one who is to be loved for his own sake, which doesn't represent selfishness on our part, is also our sumum bonum, our, our ultimate good, our telos, our end, and our, our happiness, our, uh, our beatitude. And in this life, by the practice of virtue, we can achieve some measure of happiness. And in this life, by an excellent practice of the virtue, under the, under the influence of the gifts of the Holy Ghost, we can produce the Beatitudes. And according to St. Thomas, the Beatitudes, the, the part which the, there's a part of the Beatitudes which talk about blessing, a blessing, and there's a part about each Beatitude that talks about a reward, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit, for um, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? So blessed are the poor in spirit, that's the merit, they're poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that's the reward. St. Thomas says that the merit applies to this life. Either we perfectly have the merit or we imperfectly have that merit. But he says that the reward applies in its highest sense to the afterlife, to heaven. But that it applies in a lower sense to this life too. So that the great saints who are, who are doing those works that are the Beatitudes are happy even in this life. Although this life, as St. Thomas readily admits, all of our happiness is admixed with sorrows huh, and trials and crosses. But those sorrows, trials, and crosses become principles of future merit and become principles of, uh, of Beatitude by suffering persecution for the sake of, of, of justice and so forth. So all of these things that are found in the Beatitudes, we have the merit part, we have the promise part, 
That's talking about our happiness. And there's not an ounce of selfishness in living a life of the Beatitudes because ultimately it's going to be living a life for others who are to be loved as we love ourselves. And yes, we are to love ourselves. Otherwise, we can't love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Beatitudes also presume the love of God, without which you can't have them because charity is the love of God as well as the love of neighbor. And if you don't have the theological virtue of charity, you are not living the life of the Beatitudes. So this is a, this is a stark contrast of our, of our supernatural ethical system compared to Ayn Rand's extreme. Now, the woman was an atheist and she mocked God and she mocked the uh, ideas of God. Let that be said. But, but um, a, lo a lot of people who call themselves Christian and indeed even Catholics like Paul Ryan recommend her book. Now, yeah, now I was going to uh, just interject here on the Philosophy of Potentis live classroom and chat room here on the Crusade channel, King Size Truths from Radio Size Speakers. Uh, I have it somewhere on my hard drive. I, I can probably find it and play it uh, tomorrow during the, uh, during the show. I have a 1956-57 interview that Mike Wallace did with Ayn Rand. And he, yeah. he asked her the question. He said, uh, so you are a classicist. You fancy yourself a classicist. You are a student of Plato. And she said, oh, God, no. Aristotle. No, no, no. No Plato. Aristotle. So she actually, she actually thought she or claimed that she was an Aristotelian. Oh, absolutely. She did. Yeah, absolutely. So is that Garrett? That must be one of Gary's points then. Yeah, I mean, she, she, well, I think, he, yeah, he quotes her saying, actually, I read a couple of things about her today. I think Gary quotes her saying all of her ideas came from herself, except from what she borrowed from Aristotle. But yeah, <laughs> if you read anything about her that describes her philosophy, they'll, they'll talk about Aristotle. Okay. She probably misunderstood Aristotle. I don't think she was a dumb woman. She obviously had some intelligence, but, um, but, but she, she didn't like Plato because keep in mind, she was, one thing she had that was right, and that's about it. And it's not enough, of course, but she was anti-communist. And why was she anti-communist? For individual reasons. She saw her father impoverished by communism in Russia. So she came here to the land of the free, and she spread, and, and, and a lot of conservatives thought she was great because she was a Russian refugee uh, who, who, with, a, with a Jewish name that she changed, right? And she watched her father become impoverished, and she decides that she's uh, going to uh, you know, become this great philosopher against communism. And she really is a great philosopher for capitalism. She's one of the greatest, you know, uh, uh, apologists for the kind of capitalism that characterizes uh, corporate America, which is which is which is basically laced with filthy greed. Gary points out that she is the philosopher, uh, uh, not only of Washington D.C. and Wall Street, but also of Silicon Valley, which is very important. Anyway, uh, Rand is important to us to know about because she. She's she's ruling. I mean, she's in the White House. Okay. All right. Now, um, uh, getting away from her nutty ideas, we we go we go back to Saint Thomas for a little breath of fresh air and some sanity. God is our highest good. He is our summum bonum. For her, of course, of course I'm not getting. I guess I guess I'm not getting away from her. For her, the summum bonum was self. Huh. And money. I mean, she had a she had a dollar sign, you know, like on her graveyard. Okay. Uh, the, the the for her the human bonum was money. For us, the human bonum is something utterly transcendent, beyond ourselves, and it's God. 
Now, God and play. I remember I said that that our teleology is rooted in our nature. Mm-hmm. Our, our end, our purpose is rooted in, in, in what we are, our essence. God rooted in man a natural desire for truth. When St. Thomas talks about man's desire to know God and desire to see God, which, by the way, St. Thomas believes was something rooted in our nature. It's not just a supernatural gift. Man naturally desires God. All of the scholastic theologians believe this. They all explained it very differently. And even today, Dominicans and other Thomists disagree over what St. Thomas really meant, because he wrote lots of things in different places in his works about it. But we don't need to get into the complicated, contentious issues. Very simply speaking, God rooted in man's nature a natural desire for God. And St. Thomas proves this by beginning with Aristotle saying, and I believe it's at the beginning of the Nicomachean Ethics, all men by nature desire to know. From there he proves that man cannot be satisfied except by seeing truth uninterrupted, unalloyed, as he is in the face. Now, it takes him hundreds of pages in the Summa Contra Gentiles to get there. But he starts, he gives this as a principle, and this is one of the three things that Brother Francis quoted and gave a lot of meditation on. It is impossible for a natural desire to be empty. It is impossible for a natural desire to be empty. So what does Brother Francis mean by that? There's nothing rooted in some in the nature of a thing that cannot somehow be satisfied. For instance, he gives the example that God wouldn't make a cow without making grass. Now, of course, cows could eat other things or whatever, but assuming that grass is the stable food of a cow and that they need it to survive, it would be utterly uh, it would be utterly uh, uh, incongruent for there to be a cow without something for the cow to eat. There's a certain certain balance that we find in nature, and the the thing as it is has potencies that must be realizable. God wouldn't give the capacity to see in an eye without there being light in order to see. So there's there's nothing in... There's nothing in nature that is impossible to be fulfilled. So, uh, again, it is impossible for natural desire to be empty. Now, that doesn't mean that everything necessarily fulfills all of its natural desires, especially in this thing that we're talking about, man desiring God. Not everybody's going to achieve that final end, sadly. There is a hell. But... And, and, you know, animals do starve to death, and, and, and people go blind, and, and there are dark rooms that we can't see in. But what Brother's saying is that there is no faculty, there's no power, there's nothing rooted in nature that doesn't have at least the, the, some ability for it to be fulfilled. So the fact is that there is light, and everything with eyes can use those eyes. The fact is that there is, there are, man has a nose which is receptive to odor and, and aroma, and those things do exist. The fact is that man has eardrums, and there is air, this medium by which we can have sound delivered from the source to, uh, to our recipient 
um, hair follicles in our ear. And so on with all the senses, and so on with our intellectual powers, and so on with our will, and so forth. There's nothing in nature that has a natural desire which is completely incapable of having it be fulfilled. St. Thomas takes it as axiomatic. And we can say that in our own observation, it's, it's, it's there, huh? So God, God, God doesn't give us a desire to know and then that there be nothing to be known. God doesn't give us the desire to be hungry and there's no such thing as food. Sometimes you don't have it readily available, but the idea is that there is such a thing as food in the universe. So, so too with the man's capacity to know, his desire to know. So, um, St. Thomas takes this as axiomatic, and he says it without absolutely any doubt. Um, Brother Francis says, suppose we didn't know it philosophically. Examine the things around and see if there is any place there is a natural desire that is empty, unfulfilled, nothing really corresponding to it. Mm. Every natural desire and, and, and every natural being, whether it's artifact, whether it's plant life, animal life, uh, you know, what, what, do, what do plants do? They can grow, they, they grow, assimilate, and reproduce. They all, have, they all have those natural desires built into them. And yes, we can speak of it as a desire, not a volitional thing, but it's a desire built into their natures, a tendency tending toward their perfection. And it is realizable. Now, if you keep the water away from the plant, yes, it will die. But the point is there is water in the universe and plants get water. There's some outside the window falling on the plants right now. It's raining here. Um, so too with nutrition, so too with light and all the other things that they need. And they can grow and reproduce. And all the different powers of animals that have all these desires built into them that can be fulfilled. So... This is something we, 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 we first grasp. It's impossible for any natural desire to be empty. And man has a natural desire for God. because Why? Because he wants to know. And knowledge of, of mere sentient things doesn't satisfy him. Even philosophical knowledge doesn't perfectly satisfy him. Because as Aristotle himself admitted, it takes a long time for a philosopher so, so, it takes a long time for a man to become a philosopher and lots of hard practice of virtues and so forth. Saint Aristotle believed you couldn't be a philosopher until you were 50 years old, and he thought that not until your hairs were silver did you achieve the kind of philosophical contemplation that he thought was our summum bonum. <laughs> and talk to somebody who has that and ask him if his happiness is complete. They're, they're not. Their happiness cannot be complete so that they're wanting for absolutely nothing and their desire to know is perfectly satisfied. Man has a capacity to know far beyond what this world has to offer and he wants to know truth itself. Okay, so passing on to the next point, uh, St. Thomas if the, if the divine essence is to be seen at all, it must be seen, it, it must be that the intellect sees it through the divine essence itself. Now, that, now you might think, well, that's a little abstract and wacky. Let me repeat it. If the divine essence is to be seen at all, it must be that the intellect sees it through the divine essence itself. In other words, it's not seen through the medium of anything else. Why? Because we're talking about looking at truth itself not being told about truth. It's the difference between seeing 
the, the Grand Canyon and reading a written description of it. You're not contemplating the Grand Canyon if you're reading a description of it. If you're there, if you're at the North Rim or the South Rim or wherever, looking at it, beholding it, there you're seeing it directly with no intermediary. Uh, but if you're being told about it, there's, there's a medium there, and the knowledge is, by, by merit of that, less perfect, right? So St. Thomas makes this a basis for arguing that um, it is necessary for us to see God directly. Uh, Brother Francis says, If the sight of the essence of God is what the heart of every intelligent being desires— there could be no medium of knowledge between the person and God. This is a challenge that is good for philosophical thinking. Sit down and figure out the necessity of that. There could be a medium of knowledge for something, but not a medium of knowledge of God. No medium of knowledge can convey the knowledge of the first cause. So we had to, to know the first, we know that we know the first cause by his effects. We can be told about him. We have a knowledge of him that's imperfect. Even by faith, we have a far superior knowledge, but it's still imperfect. Remember, we, we've been talking about how faith is an obscurity compared to vision, right? Right. Brother Francis said, faith comes by hearing. He's quoting St. Paul. Faith comes by hearing. And he says the difference between the beatific vision and faith is that we hear faith. We see God face to face. I, now I see as through a glass in, in a dark manner, but then I will know even as I am known, St. Paul says, talking about heaven. Where faith goes away and faith gives way to, to um, vision, hope gives way to possession, and all that remains of the theological virtues is charity because that's a necessary consequence of the the vision of truth and goodness and beauty as he is in his essence in the face without any intermediary and by the way the vision of course is not using the eyes the vision is using the intellectual capacity the reason the understanding it's our intellect that sees god he is intuited so the third truth that brother now i haven't been looking at the questions are there any questions in the room there are don't see any question marks. Okay. Well, there is one. Uh, what is the ultimate? Uh, I, very okay. Um, from Craig Silverman. I think Craig is answering his own question. Okay. Um, yeah. So. Um, okay. Well, if if y'all want to if y'all want to ask a question, could you frame it a little bit more completely? Um, let Let me just pass on to point three because we're probably gonna get interrupted or something uh, by, by, the, by the bell. Um, since truth is consequent upon being, that alone is its own truth, which is its own being. Okay, heavy, right? Right. Let me quote it again. Since truth is consequent upon being, that alone is its own truth, which is its own being. So man desires to know, and we have this capacity for knowledge, and we want to know not just what is true, we want to know truth. Truth is, in its completeness, God. 
Um, before we have something being true, we say that it is, right? Remember the transcendentals? I'll name three of them. Being, uh, truth, and goodness. So in as much as it is, it is also true, and it is also good. Without being, it couldn't be true, right? And it, it couldn't be good. But once something is, in as much as it's knowable, it is true. That's how they're connected. Truth adds to being an additional formality. It is as St. Hilary Poitier said, and we talked about this way at the beginning of all this philosophy stuff that we've been doing here, starting off in logic. Brother Francis quoted St. Hilary Poitier saying, truth is declarative being. Truth is declarative being. So once we understand that being starts, it comes first, inasmuch as that thing that exists, that has being, is knowable, it is said to be true. So truth adds onto the layer of being the, 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 the note of knowability. It is now knowable. So, again, let's repeat the phrase from St. Thomas. Since truth is consequent upon being, that alone is its own truth, which is its own being. So in what sense is God his own being? Am I my own being? No, because my I am a contingent being. My being is contingent upon God, right? Okay. Without God, I wouldn't exist. He created me, and he and 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 he sustains me in existence. So without, so I am a contingent being, but God is the necessary being. He is being itself, and this is why he could say to Moses in the burning bush. I am who am. He didn't just say, uh, hi, it's me, God. I mean, he, he announced himself as the fullness of being. Philosophically, we say that God's essence is to exist, which, which is the same as saying that he is being, and it's the same as saying that he is the necessary being. He couldn't not exist. I... I could have not existed. You, Mike, could have not existed, though the world would be a horrible place without you. Uh, <laughs> the same thing is true for all, all of us. We're all contingent beings. Not even the sacred humanity of Jesus Christ is a contingent being. If God hadn't decided to create, the sacred humanity of Jesus wouldn't have come into being. It was contingent upon God's creative will, and it was contingent upon God's uh, 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 desire to redeem mankind and to save us and bring us up to heaven. Okay, but 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 the sacred humanity isn't the necessary being. The second person of the Trinity is, with the first and the third, the necessary being. See, I hope I hope you see the difference. So. God is the necessary being for him to, to, ex ex to, his essence is to exist. And if that is the case, he is his own truth. Our own truths are derived. So you can say about anything that's true, it's true. Uh, uh, is what Mike said true? Yes, it's true. But nothing in, cre in the created order is 
in the complete sense of the word, the truth. And we couldn't, we certainly couldn't say of anything in the created order that it's the truth with a capital T, meaning the source of all truth. When our Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the life. He gave something, he's talking about himself being God. I, as man, he's the way. Because it's through the sacred humanity of our Lord that we approach the divinity. But as God, he is the truth. None of us could say, I am the truth. We could say what I'm saying is true, but none of us could say, I am the truth. Because, and, and here's where Brother Francis was so masterful. He says, he quotes two utterances, one from God in the Old Testament and one from uh, our Lord in the New Testament. When God appears to Moses and says, I am who am, those two voices uh, come from the same fountain. And the other, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I messed up. When our Lord said, I am the truth, he was saying that he is God. When God appears to Moses and says, I am who am, those two voices came from the same fountain. So the same God who said, I am who am to Moses said, I am the truth. And there you have truth being declarative being. It's being as knowable. So this is, St. Thomas fits this statement into his argument for how it is only in the direct vision of God that we can be completely satisfied uh, in, our, in our contemplation and in our happiness. Our happiness is not for this life. Our happiness is ultimately going to be fulfilled in heaven. But yes, we can have some measure of happiness even in this life, on the way, as long as we're living the life of virtue. So let's uh, do a quick reset. This is the Philosophy of Perennius Live Classroom and Chat Room here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. And we're speaking tonight with Brother uh, Andre Marie at the St. Benedict Center. And if you missed any of the previous 21 uh, lecture discussions here on uh, the subject of the home and a, first of all, you can download the lecture series, which was recorded back in the 1980s by Brother Francis Malouf uh, uh, at uh, Brother's website, Catholicism.org. Just search for De Homine, and there are 32 lectures, Brother? 31, 32. 31. 31. 31 lectures, and you can download them as a set. Of course, send an email to Brother first, and uh, he'll give you the discount coupon code for the Crusade channel, so you can get a little discount on that. And then you can catch up on the recorded versions of our discussions and continue your education and your study. Just navigate on over to my website at mikechurch.com and then click the uh, Catholicism menu item at the top of the page. And then under that, you'll want to select Philosophia Pudenis. And if you go to any of those items, uh, one click on the audio feed in, or, or put the audio feed into an RSS reader. You can subscribe to it right there, and it will update and populate the whole thing with the previous 21 discussions. Uh, brother, what is on tonight's uh, 92nd episode of Reconquest? You got it. Wow. 92nd episode. T tonight's uh, Reconquest is called... Um, let me. Uh, my guess is Dr. Alexander Wilhelmson, and it's called Hispanidad and Sac Sacral Societies. Hispanidad and Sacral Societies. Um, 
Dr. Williamson, as you know, is an expert in uh, things Spanish, and we talk uh, quite a bit about um, uh, Catholic culture as it exists in Spanish countries, not only in Spain, but especially outside of Spain, and what it, what it is we mean by speaking of a sacral society. So it was a bit of fun doing the interview. As usual, she was a, 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 a veritable torrent of <laughs> edifying information. A torrent. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> a veritable. Say, one of these days, I might be interviewing her sister, who is is a scholar of the works of Saint John of the Cross. She's been published internationally on Saint John of the Cross's uh, uh, scholarly works on Saint John of the Cross. And not only that, but Doctor Doctor Williamson's. A brother-in-law is a Thomas philosopher, I recently found out, and I might interview him, too. Sounds like uh, a great way to get to episode number 100. Yeah, and it's not exactly a family of slouches. It's very, it's amazing. They must be, they must be real fun at parties. <laughs> um, now, brother, we have uh, about seven minutes left, so you have enough time to, to segue into a close on Dahomey lecture number 22. Okay, well, then I think it might be appropriate for, for us to do a refresher okay. on what Brother Francis, uh, Brother Francis talking about truth, said, remember, there are three different kinds of truth. There, there is, um, there is uh, ontological truth, logical truth, and moral truth. And this, uh, this is an insight as to, as to when we talk about God being the truth, what that means. And in all instances, there's a conformity to the mind. When we talk about truth, we can talk about reality, and that doesn't necessarily involve correspondence to the mind, because reality is just there. It's real. Okay. Same thing with being. By the way, reality is, is just another way of looking at being. Being just is, as the word would suggest. Right. <laughs> but... but um, Truth is known, and in all instances of truth, the different kinds of truth that we can talk about, we talk about a conformity to a mind. So the kind of truth that we normally mean, the kind of truth that you're constantly defining on air, and I love it every time I hear you say it, truth is the conformity of the mind to reality. That is logical truth. That means that what, I, what my mind knows the truth that what, what my ideas in my mind and my and my judgments and my and my conclusions in my mind correspond to a reality outside of my mind that truly exists. So truth is the conformity of the mind to reality. So in all truth, there is a conformity to a mind, either the mind conforms to the reality or vice versa. So in logical truth, it is the mind conforming to the reality. And, and this is why so much of what we see in popular culture is so messed up because it says that a guy can call himself a woman or uh, a white woman can call herself a black woman or whatever. I can identify as something that I'm not, okay? The, 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 the declaration of the statement has to be in conformity to, the, to what exists or it's not true. It's a, it's, it's a falsehood. Right. Okay, so that's logical truth. But the more fundamental thing 
is ontological truth, and that is the conformity of what is to the mind of God. So there you have the pre-existing mind which produces what is. And when what is is true to its nature, it has ontological truth. And Brother Francis says it's easiest to, to, to show these things by contrasting them with their opposites. So the opposite of, a, of logical truth uh, is a fallacy, a false conclusion. The opposite of, a, uh, of an ontological truth is a counterfeit, something that appears to be one thing, but it's really another, like a false tooth, fool's gold, a, a decoy duck, etc. Those that counterfeit money, did I give that? Oh, yeah. Those things which uh, pose as something which they aren't don't have ontological truth because they don't conform to what that thing is in its actual ideal as it is in the mind of God. And then lastly, we have moral truth, and moral truth is the conformity of what I say, or, or it's the conformity of a declaration or an utterance to the truth that's known to the mind. So if I think that it's it's Wednesday, and it is Wednesday today, right, Mike? Right. That's our it is Wednesday. Okay. So if I think it's Wednesday and I say it's Thursday, I've lied. So the opposite of a moral of a moral truth is a lie. Now the funny thing is, if my mind is not in conformity to reality, and I really think it's Thursday, and I say, <laughs> "Hey, Mike, today's Thursday," and I say, "Hey, Mike, today's Wednesday," haha, -ha, I'm fooling him. I've lied, even though it just so happens that I said something that was true, because my mind's not in conformity to reality. There's a disorder there. But what I think I know in my mind, I'm contradicting with my speech, and I've actually lied. Now, by that weird process, I, the fact that I happen to have uttered the truth doesn't make it not a lie. So that, that's, the, that's the important distinction, because the conformity on the mind there is the conformity of my mind to what I say. And if what's on my mind is messed up and what I say happens to be true, it's still a lie. Subjectively, it's a lie. I mean, objectively, what was said was true. But, it's not, it, but, 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 but that's what makes it a moral tr uh, truth or a moral falsehood, which is really called a lie is that it doesn't correspond to what's on the mind. Now, God is, God is truth simply speaking. He is truth. You could say he's ontological truth because his truth is rooted directly in his being the necessary being. And, of course, he is perfectly true to his being. And there's no alteration of that. But we talk, when we talk about God, we usually don't talk about these other things. Everything he says, of course corresponds perfectly to his divine mind. Um, and he doesn't make counterfeits. Everything he makes, he gives an actual nature to, so that we, so it, because of that divine mind, that we can even have ontological truth and logical truth and moral truth. We have about a minute and a half left, brother. So next week we'll pick up and we'll do uh, Dehomene number 23. And I think Brother's going to pick up on these same... He's going, he wanted to do eight sentences from St. Thomas's Summa Contra Gentiles. I think, we, I think we're going to pick up with that next week. 
And, of course, if you miss any of the previous uh, episodes, again, you can find them, uh, the audio uh, versions of the lectures, on my website at mikechurch.com under the Catholicism tab. And then click Philosophia Panenis. And uh, the St. Benedict Conference is coming up in the first weekend of October. You can register there online at Catholicism.org. Um, uh, I will be in uh, attendance. We'll actually be uh, broadcasting the event live here on the Crusade Channel. And uh, we'll even be doing a, a Friday morning show from uh, the, what, what is it? That's St. Joseph's Hall, right? St. Joseph's Hall, yes. St. Joseph's Hall, right? See, I remembered. Right there at the uh, St. At the St. Benedict Center, and then the conference will start around. Uh, I'll, I'll end a little early so the conference can begin uh, uh, without my loud mouth at uh, ten thirty, uh, somewhere around there with the first it's set of, with the first set of speakers. Uh, remember Catholicism.org, brother. Uh, until next week, uh, we'll uh, we'll have to give uh, leave it there. But we'll see you again next week, right here for another live discussion here on the home uh, on the subject of Dahomey here on the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Oh,